I wonder, what would you give up? I mean, actually give up to follow Jesus. In today's story, our disciples, Andrew and Peter and James and John, are asked to give up everything. And Jesus does too. I wonder what you would give up. Hi, and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart, and I get to be the minister here. We're so glad that you could join us from wherever you find yourself today. As always, you can find out more about us by going to our website at st-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. There you'll find information about all the different kinds of things that we do and a calendar telling you everything that's happening. You can also find us on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, on Instagram, and even on Twitter. Today, I'm joined by Lewis and Catherine Epps. Lewis is going to read our scripture for us and Catherine will lead us in prayer later in our time together. So now let's listen as Lewis brings us God's word. Today's reading will be taken from Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased the joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered that yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death as a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I wonder what you think triggers the start of Jesus' ministry. 
Our best guess is that Jesus was around 30 years old when he begins his ministry, so obviously he's been doing something else until now. What do you imagine he's been up to since we last met him in the temple at 12 years of age when his mother and father lost him for three days and found him talking to the teachers who were amazed at his understanding? We're in Matthew's Gospel and it has the family ending up in Nazareth following their return from Egypt. Remember they had run away after the Magi had alerted Herod to the birth of a new king and Herod had tried to kill all of the children aged two and under. Mary and Joseph and the toddler Jesus had gone to Egypt with some newfound wealth and the gold and frankincense and myrrh that they had been given, but now they're living in the back end of nowhere. Nazareth is to the north of Jerusalem. It's one of those places where nobody goes and where nothing ever happens. It's far enough away that nobody will ever go looking for Jesus there halfway between the Mediterranean and the south end of the Sea of Galilee. But what has Jesus been doing there? I ask because I often get caught in the trap of thinking that Jesus somehow just floats around with nothing much to do and nowhere to be, a kind of wanderer who suddenly appears on the banks of the Jordan one day when John is baptising people. And that's just not the case at all. Tradition has it that Joseph was a carpenter. So we assume that Jesus was working with his dad because, well, well, because that's what sons did. As usual, though, it's not quite as straightforward as that. That's because the Greek word that's used to describe what Joseph does is tekton, which can mean a whole load of different things, but usually involving highly skilled building or making. It's where our prefix tech comes from, and that usually means highly skilled or building or making. An artisan who could work with metals as well as wood. The kind of skills that would be common in Egypt, perhaps. But here's the thing. The Hebrew tradition also uses the phrase the son of a carpenter to mean very learned and wise, a person with great knowledge of the scripture and the law. And that seems to fit too, doesn't it? Because we know that Jesus is learned and wise and that he knows a great deal about the scripture and the law. We also know from later events that Jesus has brothers and sisters. So by the time he's 30, he probably also has brothers and sisters-in-law and nephews and nieces. And in those days, everyone lived together in a family compound, all helping each other out and, and doing what the head of the household told them to do. What we don't know is when Joseph died. After the stories of Jesus' childhood, we never hear of Joseph again. And any time that Mary appears, she's always on her own or with Jesus' brothers and sisters. So we assume that Joseph had died. And if he had died, then Jesus, as the firstborn son, would be head of the household. And we see that confirmed later, when Jesus on the cross gives the responsibility of looking after his mother to the disciple whom he loved. There would have been no need to do that if Joseph had been alive. So Jesus is a 30-year-old with a life and a family and a job, and with some pretty serious responsibilities. He's not some nomadic mystic, at least not yet. I wonder if that's a new thought for you. One of those things that seems really obvious, but it's never quite occurred to you. Jesus gave up lots of things. Lots of important things. Lots of things other people relied on him for. Lots of culturally and religiously significant things. Lots of things that would have caused controversy and gossip. 
when he left and he gave it all up to begin his ministry. He steps across a threshold, separating his life up until now and his new life. But that doesn't answer the question that I asked at the start. Why? Why now? What is it that triggers this huge change? What is it that starts Jesus' ministry? It's not his baptism, neither is it the 40 days he spent in the wilderness being tempted, and it's John's Gospel that tells us it's his mother digging him in the ribs and telling him to help when the wine runs out at a wedding. But we're with Matthew's Gospel today, and the wedding in Cana is completely missing, at least from his account. So what happens? What is it that Matthew tells us makes Jesus decide that now is the time to step away from his life and to begin his mission? It's in the first line of our reading today. One we often so skip past to get to the good bit about the call of the disciples. And we'll get to that in a minute too. But first, we need to read verses 12 and 13 because they matter. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake. So it's the arrest of John the Baptist that kicks it all off for Jesus. He left Nazareth and went to Capernaum. He left his home, his family and all of those responsibilities. And look at what his message was. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Exactly the same as John. Repent means to change a way of thinking about the world. To rethink all the things that you've taken for granted about how the world works and why it works that way because there's a different way. Walking along the shore, Jesus sees some fishermen, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and then James and John who are mending their nets with their father Zebedee. Again, I wonder what you imagine the life of these fishermen to be like. Do you imagine it as an idyllic life, spending a day out on the lake in their boats off the shore of their village in Capernaum, basking in the sunshine? Hardly. They fished at night in one of the most unpredictable bodies of water where storms often came out of nowhere. It was difficult and dangerous work. Capernaum is at the top of the Sea of Galilee. It's a huge lake and a busy trade route from Egypt in the south to Lebanon in the north. And there was a Roman garrison town, Tiberias, just around the shore. So Capernaum is just a few miles away from the border. And like any border in those days, there were no fences and passport checks and barriers. People moved around between their villages. We also know that the Romans had a system of tax. Taxes which would include licences to fish and taxes on what you caught. Just like we have today. So that would involve probably having to hand over a proportion of the catch each day to the Romans. And I can't imagine that Peter and Andrew and James and John would be particularly happy about that, do you? I wonder what some disgruntled young men found attractive about Jesus. We heard last week that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And that's easy to imagine. An angry young man fed up with the Romans and local rulers following a firebrand prophet that spoke truth to power. That I get. In Matthew's version, Jesus makes an intriguing offer to these fishermen. Not only to, to do something different, to leave their nets and to fish for people. To do what Jesus himself has done. To step out of a job and a home 
and a family to leave all the things that they've known behind all that's expected of them and to go and do something else but Jesus also invites them to change everything to step over a threshold into a new life just like he himself has done John O'Donoghue writes about these thresholds and he says It remains the dream of every life to realise itself, to reach out and lift itself up to greater heights. A life that continues to remain on the safe side of its own habits and repetitions that never engages with risks of its own possibility remains an unlived life. There is within each heart a hidden voice that calls out for freedom and creativity. We often linger for years in spaces that are too small and shabby for the grandeur of our spirit, yet experience always remains faithful to us. If lived truthfully and generously, it will always guide us towards the real pastures. He continues, Looking back along a life's journey, you come to see how each of the central phases of your life began at a decisive threshold, where you left one way of being and entered another. A threshold is not simply an accidental line that happened to separate one region from another. It's an intense frontier that divides a world of feeling from another. Often, a threshold is only clearly visible once you've crossed it. Crossing can often mean the total loss of all you enjoyed while on the other side. It becomes a dividing line between the past and the future. More often than not, the reason you cannot return to where you were is that you have changed. You are no longer the one who crossed over. I wonder, when did we step over such a threshold that we were changed so completely? These disciples could never go back to who they were or what they were before. They would fish again, but they would never be fishermen. They would now and forever be disciples of Jesus. That would be their primary identity. Their only identity for the rest of their lives and, well, for some 2,000 years after that. Is that the same for us? Stepping over the threshold into life as a disciple of Jesus is both an identity and an activity. Being a disciple of Jesus is both who you are and what you do. You can't only have one part. It's all or nothing. And the action comes with the identity. Being a disciple of Jesus compels us to do, to love, to care, to speak out, to stand up. And for Matthew, the central act of a disciple is to fish for people. Disciples make more disciples. Disciples bring people to the threshold and invite them to step into that new life. We can talk all we want about mission plans and rationalising the number of church buildings, but there is only one mission plan that has ever been instituted by Jesus and only one mission plan that has ever brought people to faith. People like you and me Go and tell people like you and me about how our lives have been completely transformed by knowing Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among all the people. The disciples didn't do that, not at first. Jesus did that. The disciples brought people to him so that they could see for themselves what God could do and how God could transform their lives. So that begs a question. 
Do you believe it? And if you do, how much? Do you believe it's a reality here and now, not just a story from long ago? Have you stepped over that threshold? Or are you lingering in the doorway, still hesitant about leaving who you are and what you've been behind? Jesus still calls each and every one of us to step out of the world that we think we can't escape from. A world that we know isn't as it should be. A world we're both trapped by and at the same time create and perpetuate. Come, come and follow me, Jesus says. Leave it all behind and come and instead transform the world into the place we know it could be and transform people into who we should be the people that God intends us to be. I wonder, I wonder what we would be prepared to leave behind to make that real. What we would give up to inherit that promise. What it would take for us to go and invite other people to come and join us, to come and see, to come and follow Jesus.
God, whose name and whose essence is love. You have made us so that we become more fully ourselves in loving relationship with you and one another. We give thanks for all the many ways in which self-giving love can be experienced and shared, in marriage sometimes, but not always, and certainly not exclusively there. We celebrate biological families and blended ones, loving friendships and caring professionals, all whose homes are places of kindness and respect, open to friend and stranger alike. We give thanks for churches and mosques, temples and gurdwaras, that not only talk about your love, but show it in the warmth of their welcome. Our prayers of concern are the flip side of our reasons for thanksgiving. We pray for couples in loveless marriages, for children living in homes where conflict and violence are the norm. We grieve with those who have lost a loved one and think more sadly still of those who have never known what it is to have another person's face light up when they enter a room. As members of church, society and the wider world, we pray for communities that do not function as they should, for situations where power is abused and prejudice confirmed, where difference is feared and inequalities are reinforced. Loving God, may your transforming love break through somehow, and may we be part of the change for which we pray in the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We go to follow Jesus into questions of faith and journeys of belief, into the traditions of the past and an unknown future. We follow him across the threshold of faith into a life of discipleship. This day and every day we follow. The Food Bank opens for collection on Sunday from 1pm until 2.30pm and every Sunday thereafter. Uh, obviously it's been Christmas and New Year so stocks are low so any donations that you could bring to the Food Bank would be very gratefully appreciated. And don't forget if you or anyone you know needs food 
then they can come and collect food at the same time from 1pm until 2.30pm every Sunday at St Ninian's Church.